2 Chronicles chapter 20. And as we pick it up in 2 Chronicles, we're just going forward. Jehoshaphat uh, is still our guy. There's four chapters with King Jehoshaphat. He reigned 60 years after the passing of Solomon, so we're not that far removed from Solomon. He is the king in the southern kingdom of Judah there, and he reigned 25 years. He began when he was 35, so he stepped into eternity at 60, and he is without a doubt one of the top three kings. There's just reading some cross-references today, getting ready. There's no doubt about it that when you put all the statistics together of the great kings of Judah, it's Josiah, Hezekiah, and Jehoshaphat. So we're, we've really got a good one. And interestingly enough, Asa looks really good as well in spite of how he finished poorly. The sum total of his ministry was pretty, pretty solid as a king, Jehoshaphat's dad. So here we are with Jehoshaphat, and he had gone into battle. He had allied himself with Ahab, gone into battle against the Syrians. He almost died. That was terrifying. He came back home. He gets reproved by the prophet, and then he just takes action. He puts things in order in Judah. He appointed judges in all the villages. He appointed uh, a, a very orderly legal structure politically there in Jerusalem. And it's a wonderful time to be uh, in the southern kingdom under the reign of Jehoshaphat. And with that in mind, we pick it up coming from this time of peace and solidification of, of strong administration where the last thing he said to the judges is to behave courageously and that the Lord will be with the good. So be courageous and, and make good choices, and God will be with you. And then here we go, chapter 20 comes crisis. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Amnon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi, and Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. That's our introduction. We'll read on now. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave us the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine. And of course, we just read when Solomon prayed all that, right? So that comes from the prayer of Solomon, and he's quoting the prayer of Solomon now. We will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when we came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So there's his prayer. And now we got a little more text here in this first opening scene. Now all Judah with their little, little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mahataniah, a Levite, 
of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly and said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Zis, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerel. You will not heed you will not need to fight in the battle, this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah, and Jerusalem. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites, of the children of the Korites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So this is all this opening connection of the events. This is an amazing story. It's actually one of the more profound stories in the Old Testament, if you think about it. Even in my wife's personal devotions that she goes to with her little devotional, this story came up just the other day, and she was reading it to me. I was like, oh, I'm teaching that next week. It's a great story. But think about this. Jehoshaphat had just run for his life the last time he was in battle. The last time we saw him in battle, the Syrians are chasing him, thinking he's King Ahab. And once they realize he's not Ahab, because they were told, just get Ahab, he got away. He cried out to the Lord in desperation. He was gonna, he feared for his life. They had him. I mean, they had him. The Syrians had him, but he cried out to the Lord and God delivered him. And then he got reproved by the prophet after that, put things in order, and here we go. It's the, the coalition of conflict or the collaboration of conflict. Moabites, Ammonites, and these Mount Seir, you know, the, the Edomite people. They're all, it's a group of people coming together, a multitude, way more than what Judah is, in all-out war to eradicate them. They are definitely in serious threat for their lives, their livelihood, their possessions, their families, everything they love and care about, and it's legitimate and it's real. What I really like about this story is in the very beginning, it, immediately we see the greatness of Jehoshaphat. In the day of crisis, because life is, you know, something beautiful, <laughs> uh, obstacles, crisis, resolution, something beautiful, obstacle, crisis, resolution. That's just the way life works. We, we know that. And the difficult day will always come. It, it, it's just the way life works. It doesn't matter what language you speak what generation you live in, life has an ebb and flow, and there's lessons God would teach us in each of the things, the mountaintop or the valley experiences, where we're confident as all can be and when we're terrified beyond measure. I, I love the honesty of the text, and it says, Jehoshaphat was fearful. This would make you afraid. There are things that will make you afraid. Like if someone's invading your land, like if you're Polish and the, the Germans are on the border in 19, you know, 39, you're, you're fearful. Like, that's a, you know, that's a legitimate fear. World War I, when the Germans are on the border of Belgium, and you're like, yeah, it seems like they're going to do this, and there it is. It's World War I begins, and they just come through, and it's just, it's, it'd be very uh, terrifying, to say the least. And on this day, he's the political leader. He's the king. He's the spiritual leader. And the people are going to look to him, We've seen that in, in American history, right? You older people, when there's a crisis, a 9-11, everyone's looking to President Bush. Where are we at? What's our direction? 
back in the 80s when we had a lot of different things that happened. Everyone looked to Reagan. Uh, I can't really think of any huge credit. Well, Somalia was during when Clinton was president. There's just, you know, when you get crisis, people look to the leadership, especially on a national level. And this man was a godly man. He feared the Lord. And it says when he was fearful, this phrase gets our attention. It says that he set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. It always begins at the top, right? Don't we want men who set themselves to seek the Lord to lead marriages? Yes. Don't we want business leaders who set themselves to seek the Lord to lead businesses? Yes. Don't we want women and men in whatever leadership capacities, especially ones of influence, of great influence, to seek the Lord in time of crisis? Yes, we do. Now, we know in in our country's history, our presidents, almost all of them, will go to a church on a day of crisis. Like Pearl Harbor, you know, there's FDR leading the people, you know, saying, you know, this day we'll live in infamy, that kind of thing. But just because you go to church doesn't mean you're, 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 you're right with the Lord for that day of crisis. We know that, whether it's current presidents or past presidents or future presidents. But isn't it beautiful that Jehoshaphat was right with the Lord? Isn't it good to know when you set yourself to seek the Lord when you're terrified that you've got a good foundation, which makes us think of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said the person that hears his words and obeys them is like a person who builds her house on a rock, not on the sand. And the winds came, and the waves, and the storms, and the floods came, and that house stood. On the day of crisis, on the day of fear, absolute fear, I saw someone today on Instagram, they posted they began their first cancer treatment. Radiation treatment, number one of 35. That's what they posted. I didn't know they had cancer, and I was like, oh. And they were standing like, there's a woman, my age, maybe a little, a little younger. Day one, radiation treatment, first of 35. Man, when you go to the hospital, get the first treatment of radiation, you want to know that you built your house on the rock. When you wake up and you got to face all the fears that life can bring you, whether for your own life or people you love and care about, man, you got to know. You want, it, you want to be found on that day having built your house on the rock because the winds do come, the floods do come, and the waves do come. And you don't want to be looking for a firm foundation on that day. You want to be found on a firm foundation that day. And on this day, Jehoshaphat had a firm foundation. The man who sent out Bible teachers to every village in Judah is facing a crisis. The man who appointed godly men and women throughout Judah, every village, and said, rule God's people in the fear of the Lord. And then who appointed the chief leaders in Jerusalem and said, fear the Lord and serve him. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you and serve him with a loyal heart. The man who made God's word the authority for every right and wrong in his land, in his own life, on the day of fear and terror, he can look in the mirror He can look in the mirror and set himself to seek the Lord. Today, we're not going to unravel. Today, we're not going to panic. We're not going to react. We're going to respond. We're going to seek the Lord. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to seek the Lord, and we're going to be right with the Lord. And our house is built on a rock. And like Jesus would say about John the Baptist, a man or woman can receive nothing unless it comes from above. 
So whatever comes our way, the Lord's got a plan and purpose in it. So Jehoshaphat, he was such a strong leader, like he, he set himself. He, he didn't start pushing buttons and getting everyone's opinion. He set himself to seek the Lord. And on the day he, had, he needed the Lord more than any other day in his life, he had a firm foundation to call upon. In ministry for 35 years as a pastor, I've ministered in situations where when the storms came of great fear, I've seen people who, whose house was on the rock, and you see how strong they are. It's, again, that's a compound effect of when you've walked with the Lord all these years, you know the Lord is good, you know he's got a plan, and you can trust the Lord. Your faith is strong, it's not on sand. And you see how strong they can be in that situation. And then you come in as a minister, you're just affirming their faith and affirming their confidence. But I've also gone into very terrifying situations where people are facing great fears, the, the deepest fears of the human experience. And they didn't build their house on the rock. And there is terror. And I'm trying to offer them like a, like a Newport lifeguard at the wedge on a 20-foot day. I'm trying to rescue someone with the life vest and or, you know, the ring to save them. And you're trying to convince them they can do this. And, and it's like, but they don't, they don't have a confidence established in the Lord. This man, the last time we saw him, he said, Be, behave courageously. That's the last thing we saw in the last chapter a week ago. He said, behave courageously, and God will be with the good. And he's good, and he's behaving courageously. It's very inspiring. So it's a reminder to us on the, diff, you know, just every day we're building our house with the Lord with a firm foundation and building with, with the solid things of the Lord. Every day that we're just investing in the kingdom and, and how we, the choices we make and the person we see in the mirror when we walk out that door and who we are and what we do and how we live our life as an individual if we're married and how we conduct ourselves at work, how we conduct ourselves in human experience. And we do so by faith and we, we walk by faith, we live by faith and we let Jesus be Lord of it all. Man, this day comes, it's like, yeah, it's, there's no way around it. It's, it's that day. But your house is on a rock. Your house, you're the wise woman, and you're the wise man, and this because this day comes. It may not necessarily be this multitude, but it comes. And because he did that, he's able to instill confidence in other people because he, it says he rallied all Judah. They all came together with him. They all came together to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast, and they trusted his leadership. He had credibility on that day, on the day of crisis or a season of crisis. I want to thank you for trusting me during the COVID crisis as the pastor of this church. I want to thank you for trusting me. Thank you for trusting me. Dancing videos with the exodus inside. You're like, well, I guess it's the end of the world. And then we went outside. Thank you for trusting me and trusting the leadership of this church. Thank you for trusting us when we came back inside. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us when we said, hey, we'll do the best we can. But we sing to Jesus and no one tells us we can't. And that's the way it is. And we decide what we do with our bodies and no government forces that upon us. Thank you for trusting me. That wasn't just three armies. That was a lot more than three armies, man. And that wasn't just one dark entity. That was a lot of dark entities. Thank you. Thank you for trusting me. That was a crisis. We, God forbid we see a crisis like that again, huh? Yes and amen? But we could. That was a crisis. And we came through it. Our leadership, Sam, the pastors, the deacons. Man, thank you. And by the way, of course, Shoreline was exactly the same way. We shared that experience. We came through a very difficult crisis. 
the greatest crisis I've ever seen in my timeline. It makes 9-11 look like nothing, really, not to discount the tragedy and the heartache and the loss and the effects of 9-11, the endless wars and all that stuff. But the COVID crisis was just insanity because it was so targeted against the things that Christ gives all of us choice and self-determination. It had no precedent. So thank you. Thank you. If I never tell you again, thank you. It wasn't easy. But I have, I just wish I danced better back when I started, okay? So it was bad, but it's better now. But anyways, that's, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord. The day of crisis comes. And who's sufficient for these things? You want to be found on a rock, and we were on the rock when that came. And God's word was our standard for decisions we made that were very difficult. So praise the Lord. And we're still here, and we're going forward. Man, you got to you look yourself in the mirror and just say, I'm a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I come home, I don't know. I fall back on what I do know. And I do know that Jesus Christ is Lord and his word is the final authority. And no one tells his church, you cannot sing to him and gather in his name ever. So these people are going to do what they're going to do. And we're going to do what we're going to do because we're the church. We'll do outside, inside. We'll give it a go. Yeah. Let God be true in every man a, a liar. Yeah, because God is true. And he never has no shadow of turning or anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was tough. I just think, you know, like, I didn't plan to share that, but that was a crisis, and we went through it together as a church family. 20 years from now, you know, who knows where all of us are at and what we're doing, but I got all kinds of regrets, but I don't really have any regrets about how we handled that one, so praise the Lord. Okay, now we read on. They, you know, they, they cried out to the Lord. They confessed his goodness. They called on his promises. Good old Jehoshaphat, man. He, he knew what to say. God, you're just, and you're going to get this, and he appointed, he appointed justices and told them to be just. And then he says, Lord, you're the ultimate just. These guys, you told us not to mess with them 700 years ago. And now they're trying to take what you gave to us. Like, we know you'll set that straight. Like, he, Jehoshaphat's like, awesome. He's, he's definitely, he's on the podium getting a medal. He's gold, silver, or bronze uh, of all those kings for sure. And then, you know, so he, he says the prayer. And then all of a sudden, the spirit moves upon this guy and he prophesies. And he speaks a word of encouragement. The battle is the Lord's. You're going to stand. You're going to just be there. And you're going to watch. And you're going to see that the Lord is the Lord. And he's got your back. And, you know, as soon as he's done, everyone's like, they knew it was the Lord. Jehoshaphat falls on his face. Everyone falls on their face. <laughs> everyone's like, hey, the Lord has spoken. And Jehoshaphat received it. They all received it. What a contrast to Ahab's prophets going, oh, go up to Syria and you'll gore them. You know, like, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than false prophets, really, right? They don't have any power, they don't have any truth, and they just lead you astray. Real prophets have the power of heaven in their words. They are a truth, and they give you strength and comfort to face the difficult day with the Lord. And that's what this guy did. He spoke up, praise the Lord. And then everyone just like, hey, what do we do now? We're going to praise the Lord. So they gave it to the Lord, they praised the Lord, and they said, you know what? Sleep tight, for tomorrow we wake up and we'll watch God bring our deliverance, which brings us to the next part of this, the chapter. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Man, that's how you face your battle. Parenthetical thought. That's how you face your first day of radiation treatment. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That's how you face the first day of craziness out, outdoors in 2000, 
20, in 2020 with helicopters. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. That's how you, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. When you go on a door and tell someone, comfort someone that's stepping into eternity, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. How many times in ministry I've had to face something, God, I cannot do this. I'm going in there to see someone who's stepping into eternity right now. They're not going to let me in this hospital. Oh, they are. You just walk right in, get on the elevator, go right to the ninth floor, walk in the room. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And you will pray over John, and you will comfort John, and you will speak my promises over him, and you'll give him a thumbs up, and we'll say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And you'll walk out of that hospital during the heart of COVID. They won't even know you were there. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Our God's a God of supernatural, and he gives the victory. It's nice to fill your water pots, but it's better when he turns it to wine. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped, like the Assyrian army with Sennacherib uh, a couple generations later. No one escaped. This is a total rout. It's supernatural. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they had stripped off from, which had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. Listen, if you're a pirate, that's a lot of pirate treasure. Because even pirates find a way to take all the treasure, right? And that's the funny thing about this story. These armies came together, and they all had four days' worth of wealth that, uh, that all of Judah couldn't even carry it away. So what do pirates do? They devour one another. That's what, that's what the, the wicked people do. They turn on one another. Or as they say, they, they cannibalize themselves. Wicked people cannibalize themselves. They eventually destroy each other. You go back over human history. Those that have coalitions of evil, eventually they turn against each other. And it's... It's all, you, talk, you talk about the God of redistribution? Yeah, he's got it. They, four days of, of wealth. Three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. They couldn't, they couldn't even carry it away. So they're like, what do you do? And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barak, Barakah, excuse me, the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord, and therefore the name of that place was called the valley of Barakah until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of all those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. This phrase, Valley of Barakah means valley of blessing. And just a quick reminder, in the valley where there is the greatest need to depend upon the Lord and to really exercise your faith, that's the valley where the blessings come from. Strength of character and depth of, of reflecting Christ and really being made that woman for eternity or made that man for eternity, it, it doesn't come in the mountaintop. It comes in the valley of blessings. The valley of blessings was a place where they were going to be routed and completely destroyed just five days before. But it's the valley where God flipped the switch and they said, our eyes are on you. 
And that's where the blessings are. When we have total dependency upon the Lord, that's always where the blessings are. Where it's like, Lord, if you don't deliver us, there is no deliverance. But like I said, it's good to be on the rock when that day comes. This valley, the valley of blessing. The first report when these events happened was one that would cause them to fear for their lives, their existence, their children, their spouses, their extended family, their grandparents, everybody. It was all said and done. Three full days gathering all the wealth that was on these people that God destroyed. The valley of fear became the valley of blessing because the people strengthened themselves in the Lord. They had a good foundation for that day and ultimately they sang praises for his mercy endures forever and the battle was the Lord's and the Lord gave them victory. May it give us strength. May it just give us strength and encouragement. Now there's a little more to Jehoshaphat here on the back end and uh, it reads like this. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in the way of his father, Asa, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the Lord, to the God of their fathers that way. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last indeed, they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made ships in Ezan Gabor. But Eleazar, the son of Dadava of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord, the Lord has destroyed your works. And then the ships were wrecked, so they were not able to go to Tarshish. Jehoshaphat's one great Achilles heel, which we talked about last week, is he wanted unity at some cost. So he, he forsook truth for unity. And you, know, you, you sometimes have to forsake truth to coexist at work or these different situations in your neighborhood. We get that. We understand that. But these are people of covenant. And Israel in the north should have been walking with the Lord. Instead, they're worshiping Baal. They're under the... the influence of Jezebel and Ahab, and you just, you just can't have that fellowship with them. You just can't do it. And it was cursed, and he almost died when he was Ahab, and then he gets with Ahab's kid, and they're going to they're, they're do business together, and it's like the prophet Amos said, can two walk together if they're not in agreement? The answer is no. And you can do collaborations and financial partnerships all the time with people who are like-minded, it, it, with the kingdom, like-minded in philosophy of how you're going to do things. That's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Think how many people it takes for Samaritan's Purse to be efficient in all that it does. The type of people who have to handle money, men and women, large sums of money, to do what they do. And it's amazing. And to be above reproach is fantastic. So there's partnerships, but you got to people, you know, you got to be on the same page. You think of the Harvest Crusades and how much effort it takes to pull off the pond in, in Anaheim to do the crusade this year. And you, so you have, you have where people do work together, you know, like large sums of money, millions of dollars, people working together to make it work. But you, you, can't, you can't do that with people who are not believing the gospel like Greg Laurie or motivated with shoeboxes like Franklin Graham. He just, you know, it's like when Pastor Chuck needed a million dollars for the building of Calvary Costa Mesa and the guy came with a million dollars and he's like, yippee. And God said, you can't take that because you're not of the same spirit. Pastor Chuck literally turned down a million dollars when he needed exactly a million dollars because you, you, 
you don't do, you don't go for gold with the son of Ahab. It's not going to be a good ending. And after the fleet was destroyed, God sent a prophet. We read this in Kings and said, hey, this is why this happened. Don't do it again. And Jehoshaphat said, I won't. And then the king of the north said, hey, let's try that again. You know, that was a failed business venture. Hey, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. He's like, hey, Jehoshaphat, no way. I'm done doing business with you. You're not my stockbroker. You're not my precious metal guy. You're not my real estate broker. You're nothing for me. Like, I've learned my lesson. And that's how he ended his life. His only blemish was unity at the expense of truth, which was a big one. Still, though, I mean, God knows. The real consequence of his unequally yoked stuff with the north really shows up in the next chapter as we read on. So Jehoshaphat, he reigned 25 years. He lived 60 years of life. Now we read on chapter 21. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiliel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, Shep. Bataiah, all these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things and fortified cities in Judah, but he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all of his brothers with the sword, also others of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. So in other words, in spite of evil, God's true to his promises for the Messiah Jesus Christ to come through the line of David. In the days of Edom, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all of his trades with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah, places of idolatrous worship, and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, the king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab, that is, religious harlotry with false gods, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who are better than you yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with disease of your intestines, until your intestines come out by reason of sickness day by day. Man, that's, listen, having had diverticulitis flare-ups, that, this is, man, this, that's, that, boy, that's bad. Verse 16, moreover the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it, carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house, and also his sons and his wives, so there's not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. 
He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tomb of the kings. To no one's sorrow. That has got to be the worst. You know, it's interesting when you think about wicked people. Wicked people can be so powerful and have so much influence because they have the power and the money and the wealth and they have all this stuff. But really, once they die, you know, to no one's sorrow. Like, think about Hitler. Hitler almost conquered the world. I mean, he conquered a good portion of it. Thing is, those kind of guys are never satisfied. So we could have all been speaking German if he had been satisfied at, at a certain point. But he had to go after Russia, right? And then all the things that happened. But like, there are certain names we just like, we associate with such evil, yet at the time they're alive, they swayed millions and had, had power over a good portion of the planet. And of course, the Germans were incredibly efficient, you know, coming from the Prussians. And they were the most efficient people in the world about 150 years ago. Like all the great scientists, you know, all, all, man, like, listen. We went to the moon because of Nazi scientists, right? You know that, okay? Like, they're genetically smart, you know, like, on top of it. And now we even think about that 80 years later, just evil. How about the Soviet Union? Stalin, oh my goodness. What Stalin did to Ukrainians during the Ukrainian famines of the, the 1920s? What he did to his own people? The Soviet Union? The Union of Soviet Socialists, the USSR. I've been to Russia, I've been to Moscow, I've been to the killing fields. On that gray, rainy day five years ago, I got out of a car with two other people and walked this entire grounds. Um, it was a big area, it's hard to give a comparable, like four or five football fields together where Stalin killed hundreds of thousands of people. And they're all buried there in the woods under the trees. Where's Stalin now? Where's the Soviet Union? Where's Ceausescu? I randomly researched Nikolai Ceausescu, you know, the Romanian leader, because of course Sam's from Romania, his dad was fled that time, and we all remember when the Iron Curtain came down and watching Ceausescu, you know, they were executed on Christmas Day, him and his wife, firing squad, trying to get out of Romania after they plundered the people, after they tormented the people, psycho sociopaths. Does anyone in Romania, you go to Bucharest, is there anything there that uh, esteems Ceausescu? Now, there is stuff in Russia that looks favorably upon the Great War. I did go to Lenin's tomb, still there, right at Red Square. But most Russians wouldn't tell you they're proud of the Soviet Union, nor would they want to go back to it. Most Russians would tell you they don't trust their government at all and they don't speak against their government because they're terrified of their government, which is exactly how Stalin and even the Romanovs were back in the day. We don't esteem evil people. When they're alive, they, they are esteemed and they get away with stuff, but once they're dead, we realize they were like the Camarouge. They were evil. They were very evil people. And human history looks poorly upon them. But if I say Anne Frank, how do you esteem her? Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, we just go, oh, amazing, this Jewish girl, and of course she died in the death camps. If I say Corrie Tim Boom, how do we esteem her, right? In time, good things are often called bad things, and bad things are called good things. That's how it was in Germany. 
when Bonhoeffer and the evangelical Christians were attacked by Hitler and the Lutheran church, the state church, as being unpatriotic by not conforming to what was going on. Bonhoeffer was hung by the SS about four weeks before the war was over and Berlin fell. But we esteem Bonhoeffer and his books have been New York Times bestsellers. Are there any best? Oh, mein Kampf, of course, is a famous book, but it's not the kind of book that builds you up. Mein Kampf is my struggle, Adolf Hitler, that he wrote when he was in prison the first time, or when he was in prison for the attempted coup. He said what he's going to do, my struggle, mein Kampf, and he, he did it. That book's a very famous book, but it's not like the Bonhoeffer book. There's all kinds of books on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Discipleship, right? His book on discipleship is one of the all-time classics now. The Hiding Place is a, is a famous story of Cory Tim Boom. Right? Like, see, my point is this. No one missed them. So when you think about the evil and they seem to, the wicked people seem to get away with stuff in 2023, they might seem to get away with it, but in the end, like, no, if you say, no one's brought to justice on this. This person was caught. They is, supposedly this happened to him in jail. This person, this thing, and these people are all involved and no one's come to trial. No one's come to pay for it. People, they get away with this stuff, but they don't. And no one esteems them after they're gone. No. It's always... And why, do the, why is it like there's a fascination with evil, and even when your intestines are coming out in the worst imaginable constipation and diverticulitis imaginable, and you're dying in excruciating pain, you still can't confess and repent. Because the heart's deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? And people fight God. This just is a kind of encouraging reminder that there's an end to these people. And to no one's sorrow they departed. The disciple, the woman who loves the Lord, there is sorrow when you depart. Heaven's gain is earth's loss. When the godly man steps into eternity, heaven's gain is earth's loss. Oh, a great legacy you leave behind, yes? Don't we all, men, look at me. Don't you guys want to leave behind a great legacy for your wives, your children, your children's children? One generation proclaim your praises to the next generation. A righteous man's inheritance is children's children. Don't you want to step into eternity and have people have the have have your departure from earth, heaven's gain, earth's loss? I mean, we're all gonna die. The roly poly's gonna die, the spiders I rescue are gonna die, the lizard I rescue is gonna die. We're all gonna die. The hawk in the backyard is gonna die. My cavaliers unprotected from the hawk today, they're gonna die. We're all gonna die. The animal kingdom is animal kingdom, but we are created in the image and the glory of God. And we will die. And when you die, you want to be to everyone's sorrow because you're a godly woman and you made earth a better place and it is a loss for planet earth when you step into eternity. Your gain, time's lost. Now give it 80 years after you're gone. It won't matter, right? Because everyone you touch, they'll be gone too. I was thinking about my mom when she passed. I don't know why. I just randomly thought of it today. I was like, I was in the room, she passed. I'm like, she's gone. And I thought about when the spirit leaves the body, it's gone. And you're not coming back. Like David said about his son, he's not, he not coming back. I'll go to him. And so a reminder, WG, when we step into eternity, we want to have a legacy. Our daily decisions become our character. And our habits become our legacy. And we want people to know we're gone. And we want people to be sorrowful, not because we want to put sorrow on them, but the death of the saints is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, and there is a void. 
Now we have chapter 22. It's a short chapter and another bad king. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders who came up with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older uh, relatives. It's, the word should be relatives there. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. There she is, Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, so the daughter of Ahab. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after his death, after the death of his father, to his destruction. I mean, his dad, oh, it's crazy how he followed the same path. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram, and he returned to Jezreel. This is all in 1 Kings. We studied this in great detail about a year ago. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah. And when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria, and Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. His going to Jehoram, his going to Joram was God's occasion for Azahiah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's relatives who served Ahaziah that he killed them. And then he searched for Ahaziah, and they caught him, and he was hiding in Samaria, and he brought him to Jehu. And when they killed him, they buried him, because they said, He is a son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all of his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Now, so these two kings, the one with the intestines and this guy, they were relatives of Ahab, and God had prophesied that the house of Ahab would be completely cut off. So they just, they can't be kings of Judah. They're going to be cut off. God pronounced judgment on that house. And look at how, why. They're so evil. It's just perpetuating evil. So they're under judgment. And God's judgment is justified by their behavior and their action and the fruit of their lives. And Jehu, who we saw back in Kings, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm the wrath of the Lord. And he was, man. He, he struck these guys down, and that was the end of them. But here's something interesting. It sets up a scenario where the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, were only, you know, 70 years from the time of, of Solomon. And that, that Messiah's got to make it for a thousand years before Christ comes, right? And we're, it's like the Romanovs with the Russian dynasty. So who's the heir? Like, how, do, how, how is the seed of Christ? How is the promise going to maintain? And here's how it happens. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, so, so like half-sister, different mom than bad guys, she took, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Joram, the wife of Jehoiadiah the priest, for she was a sister of Ahaziah, half-sister, hid him from Athaliah, not her mom, stepmom, so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. What a contrast, okay? Two women, so ladies, stay with me, two women. One, this godless woman, the descendant of Jezebel, Jezebel's daughter. 
she's a queen usurping the plans of, that God pronounced that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come through the line of Judah. And here's his daughter of Jezebel killing everybody off. And you would have think, you would have thought that she killed off all the line by which was promised that the descendant of David would come to save the universe, to save the world, save Israel, and die for our sins. But there's this one kid, and the other woman risks her life to save that kid, and he's in hiding for six years. Which just goes to show us yet again that God catches the wise in their own craftiness and he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And even though evil may seem 99.9% of the time it's about to close the deal, touchdown, game over, it never does. Because the Lord always stops it at the last minute. The glorious gospel, the promises, the truth, the kingdom will always prevail. And even though it's .0001 that the messianic line would go, it goed, it stayed, and it was established. It just reminds us that God's on the throne, and he's going to always come through and fulfill his word. We're down to just one heir to fulfill all the promises of Jesus Christ coming to the world to save the world. Right here at the end of this chapter, this woman risking her life, this half-sister, for this, this kid. And that's how the gospel line continues, bringing the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into the world. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this is the darkest hour ever on the messianic line for the king to come. And God's like, no big deal. We'll just hide the baby in, in uh, this room for six years. Which really is like the book of Acts. Because the church always, you know, Caesar's trying to wipe us out. Government's coming against the church all the time, all over planet Earth. We're still here. And we're going to be here till the king comes and sounds his trumpet for us. Yes and amen.